Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you for tuning into the channel and watching the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. This channel is dedicated to the cash flow investor, the long-term buy and hold cash flow value-based investor, and we're going to value CVS Health this week. Last week, we did Walgreens. We're going to do their competitor, CVS Health, a multi-location retail pharmacy company that is growing. They recently made an acquisition of Oak Street Healthcare. This is another multi-location healthcare provider that they're going to fold in. Let's figure out the value of that acquisition and was it accretive to the CVS stockholders? Then we're going to figure out how much hard cash money does CVS produce if we buy it today, held it for a decade, how much will we make on our money? You ready? Let's get to work. The first thing I want to do is I want to remind everyone that this channel is my personal opinion. This is my vlog. Uh, it's kind of my own personal journey through stocks as I review them. I want to just post my work for others to teach you how I view it. Please, please always read the 10Ks. The 10K is the annual uh, financial statement, the annual release to the, C, uh, to the Securities Exchange Commission of the financials for the companies that you are considering. It's long, two to 300 pages sometimes. Read it. It is very important. Most people don't read them and you're going to find a tremendous amount of information in that document. You should read this document every single year for every stock you own. Now, we're going to value CVS like we do all stocks here at this channel as our starting foundation, the five key attributes. We want a stock at a minimum to check the boxes on all five factors, on all five key attributes, so that we can then proceed to other forms of due diligence. Now, those five key attributes are as follows. Number one, top line revenue growth. We want a stock that's growing revenue of, at least for the last decade. Number two, earnings growth. EBITDA better be growing. We want er enterprise level earnings growth. Number three, strong free cash flow. That's the name of the channel. Number four, low debt, less than three times debt to EBITDA. And number five, we want a well-priced stock. Now, what is a well-priced stock? It's a stock that's trading cheaply relative to a conservative forecast. If we put a conservative forecast out there, and that stock is now estimated to beat the stock market on an IRR basis, that is a well-priced stock. Now behind me is nine years of financial information for CVS. Now why do we look at long-term data? We wanna look at many, many years of financial information, not one quarter, not two quarters. I wanna look at nine, 10, 20 years of data because accounting is a funny thing. Accounting can be manipulated by management uh, for a quarter or two, maybe a year or two, but it's very, very hard to manipulate over a long, long period of time. And looking at a long time, you get a much better sense for the market, for the company, for management skill at running a business than you do quarter to quarter. It also is going to separate you from most of the crowd that follows companies quarter to quarter. If you're thinking 10 years out, that's going to put you at an advantage because your target is, is not, most, not, not what the market's target is. Most all the market looks quarter to quarter, by looking out 10 years, you kind of rise above the kind of uh, childhood, high schoolish nature of the stock market and hopefully make a better investment. So in 2014, fiscal year ended December 31st, uh, CVS Healthcare top line revenue was $139 billion in 2014. And that has grown fairly consistently every single year over the last nine years. So I'm going to read these numbers out to you. You can see them on the screen. For those listening on the podcast, I'll just run through the numbers. So $139 billion of top line revenue growth in, in top line revenue in 2014. That goes to 153, 177, 184, 193, 
255, 267, 293, 21, 321 billion dollars last fiscal year 2022, just ending here in December. That is an awful lot of jack. So they that's that's an annualized growth rate of 11% a year on the top line revenue for this business, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal growth rate, a double digit growth rate in top line revenue for a company that is in the retail space of selling uh, retail stores. They've got some healthcare products that they sell. They've got a pharmacy, but it's a, it's a very, very strong growth rate, in my opinion, for a business that I would have thought is mature. Uh, it's, I love to see it. Let's check earnings. Now, earnings, what do we mean by earnings? We do not, we do not look at EPS in this channel. Earnings per share is what the street looks at, looks at it can be manipulated by the number of shares that are outstanding lots of companies are borrowing debt when debt was cheap buying back the shares to prop up flatter declining net income to manipulate eps uh, we want to look at enterprise levels you can pick any metric you want you can pick operating income and use operating income you can pick ebit if you want to expense the dna i use ebitda because as you see later on in in this channel the, uh, the investment banking world and M&A transactions are basically expressed as a multiple of EBITDA, and so that's what I use. EBITDA stands for Earnings Before Interest, Tax, Depreciation, and Amortization. It's basically the, ent the entire company's operating in income from the core business. It does not include things like gain or loss on sale of assets, uh, closing of a, of a, of a facility, um, transaction costs if they do an M&A or they sell. Uh, it tries to exclude the one-time things and look at kind of a, a, a steady, long-term, uh, normalized, if you will, operating income for a business. And that's truly what we're buying. We're buying a business. We're not buying a stock. You're buying the company itself. And that's why we want to look at the company's earnings. So, Enter EBITDA 2014, when they made $139 billion, they generated $10.8 billion of EBITDA. That is a 7.7% margin. Now that $10.8 billion has grown to 11.8, 13.12.2, came down a little bit, 12.7, 16, 18, 18.6, and 19.7 billion dollars of EBITDA last year when they made 321 billion of top line revenue, which is a 6.1% uh, margin on that business. Margins come down a little bit from 7.7 at the high to 6%, but it's also a whole lot higher than the 3.4% of Walgreens, almost double profitable margin from Walgreens. So I think that's one check the box here for us against the comparison on Walgreens, please go back and watch that video last week to give you kind of a compare and contrast of the two. This is good. This video is going to be structured very similar to that video as a good comparison. What does this mean? This means profitability is growing at 8% a year, strong single digit EBITDA profitable every single year and growing. We like to see that growing slightly less than revenue. You'll notice revenue is growing at 11% on an annualized basis over these nine years. EBITDA is growing at 8%, so slightly lower growth rate, which is contributing to the slight deterioration of the EBITDA margin from 7.7 to 6.1. But that margin is still double what their competitor is of Walgreens. I like to see that. So this checks two boxes for us. Revenue is growing and profit is growing. Excellent. The next thing we want to do is we want to look at enterprise value. Now, what is enterprise value? Enterprise value is the entire value of the business. What do I mean by that? I thought that's the stock price. No, 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 no. The stock price is only the value of the equity. You cannot forget the debt level 
that a business has. You add those two up, you get the entire value of the business, less excess cash. That's what we're going to do. Let's take a look. So debt levels, 2014 was 12.9 billion dollars. And that grew from to 27, then 73. Now 73 billion from 27 billion is a absolute monster growth rate. Why is it ha happening there? Because there was an accounting change. I cover this frequently for retail businesses that required gap required businesses to take their rent liabilities and capitalize them on the balance sheet as they were operating as they were a bank debt. So you go you jump up 50 million 50 billion dollars here that's basically the present value of all of their lease obligations for all their stores. Uh, this debt here existed back then, they just didn't have to show it. So now they have to show it, so it kind of monkeys with our leverage ratios a little bit. We're going to take a look at that in a second. So, so this step is, is explained because it already existed here. So then we go from $73 billion to $70 billion. The debt has come down in the last couple years. Uh, so even though it's a large growth rate of 24% year over year, we understand that the growth rate is predominantly because of a technical change. This debt always existed prior to these periods. So then let's look at excess cash. Excess cash is cash above and beyond what they would store, say, in their checking account. If you yourself has a, have a savings account, it's not your stock investment portfolio. It's not your checking account. It's excess cash that you keep there for reserve. This is roughly $2.7 billion for this business currently, and we're going to keep that as excess cash. The market cap is outstanding shares times price. I use price as the average of the fiscal year. In this case, it would be December, the month of December for each month. And you can see the market cap for the business was $100 billion. It dropped down to $73 billion, about the middle of this time frame of nine years, and then came back up to about $130, $124, billion last fiscal year. Uh, so that market cap really has not moved a whole lot from $100 billion uh, in 2014 to $125 billion now. But meanwhile, earnings have, have doubled. Or EBITDA went from $10 billion to $20 billion over this time. Uh, so the so the uh, the market cap really hasn't moved. Enterprise value enterprise value has gone up because they've 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 moved the debt higher. So the enterprise value was 121 billion dollars has moved up to 200 billion dollars uh, this last fiscal year end. Let's take a look at a couple leverage ratios. So one I like to look at is net debt to EBITDA. Uh, that is our risk of bankruptcy, right? We want less than three times debt to EBITDA. It was 1.2 to 2 back prior to having to capitalize the rent liabilities. After they had to capitalize the rent liabilities, you can see it spikes to, four, to five, five and a half. And the, uh, the enterprise said, hey, that's too much. We need to bring that down as investors were demanding they pay down debt. And they did that. That, now, that number now stands at three and a half, which is slightly above our three times measure. But I'm going to give it a pass here because the three times measure is really on bank debt. I want to know how, what they owe in terms of bank debt. In this case, because they have so much retail liability, uh, and most of that is, is is a rent liability. That if they were to exit or close the to close the uh, the buildings or or the the lease, they would have to settle with the landlord, and they could get some kind of cents on the dollar sell. They wouldn't have to pay the entire ten year lease out. They could say, hey, I'll pay you, um, you know, seventy cents on this liability. I'll leave. You get a new tenant. 
sometime in the next few years. So I don't think the total debt that they carry is the full liability, in which case having three and a half times net debt to EBITDA in my book for retail businesses is actually a great leveraged position. I think they could settle some of that for less because most of that debt is their rent liability. So I think this means that the business is relatively unleveraged and I like that. Enterprise value to EBITDA is a relative value measure. So you've got enterprise value, which is the entire business. You've got EBITDA, which is the annual cash flow. And this is basically, excuse me, annual operating earnings. So this is basically saying how many years of operating earnings would the business pay for itself? And it trades at around a 10 times multiple. It's been as cheap as eight, as expensive as say mid 11. So it floats in this range, pretty narrow range. I will say that the Walgreens, Walgreens was trading higher than this. If you recall, Walgreens was trading at 11, 12, 13 times. This business is trading at eight, 10 times and growing. Walgreens was losing money. Their EBITDA was declining. Revenue was growing, but their profitability was declining and margins were tiny. This business, margins are double that of Walgreens trading at a cheaper price and earnings and revenue are both growing. Very interesting contrast. Also, the debt liability here is a lot less than what Walgreens. Walgreens has a whole lot more debt. They've, they're still at seven times. They've been unable to delever over this period of time, whereas CVS seems to have executed well on growing earnings to kind of right size to their debt liability. We like that. The next thing we want to do is we're going to take a look at cash flow. And I want to take a pause here and remind you that I teach a course on how to do just this, where I give you this Excel sheet. We dive through Apple and I tell you how to calculate revenue, how to calculate EBITDA, how to find share price, adjust for share splits, um, how to walk you through forecasting. It's simple. Check out my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com. There's a link down below. All right, we want to take a look at free cash flow. Free cash flow begins at the cash flow from operations level, which is the first third of the cash flow statement, the absolute most important financial statement you have, the cash flow statement. I use adjusted cash flow uh, from all the tech companies that issue tons of um, stock-based compensation. I've become into a habit of simply just expensing stock-based comp as a cash cost, even though it's not. So when you see I have adjusted cash flow here, cash flow from operations CFO, that's just me taking CFO line, cash flow from operations, minusing the uh, stock-based comp line that they have in the, in the, in the um, cash flow statement. So in 2014, they made $8 billion of cash flow from operations adjusted. That grew to 8.3, 9.9, 7.8, 8.5, 12.4, 15, 17, and $15.7 of cash flow from operations. Great job. That is also growing at a 9% annualized growth rate over these nine years. If you recall, EBITDA is growing at an 8% rate. What does this mean? It's a good accounting check. It means the accounting team is expensing costs properly as they come and, and as they're represented in the cash expense that they're going. It's not, it's not cash accounting. It's still accrual based accounting, but it's a smell check. If you get EBITDA going up and free cash flow going down as a growth rate over a long, long period of time, that's someone monkeying with the numbers. And I like to see one statement going in line with the other statement. CapEx, CapEx is building new st stores and refurbishing existing stores. And it's basically, they're gonna keep it pretty flat, $2 billion every single year. 
uh, while the cash flow operations have been growing, that means their free cash flow is growing, growing, growing. They've been using it to pay down debt recently. Now that debt has been normalized, or is very close to being normalized, what are they gonna do? They're gonna kick that cash out to the owners or make acquisitions, both of which we just saw. End of the fiscal year, they, they paid out $3.5 billion of, of, to buy back shares, and they've just announced an all cash acquisition uh, we're going to cover that in a second, but that means that they have cash flow to go to reinvest in the business. They're not borrowing to do it. They're not borrowing to buy back shares. They're not borrowing to make acquisitions. We really like to see that. So here we go. The debt debt is the next column, and you can see these these chunks here is them paying down the leverage. This is outflow. The, the page down here, when I was looking at enterprise value, this is total dollars of debt. So this would be like your mortgage your in, or your car loan, your entire debt balance. On the cash flow statement, these are payments. So this would be your car payment or your mortgage payment uh, to principal, not interest. This is principal payment. And you can see over the last several years, they've paid down $25 billion of debt. Where does that come from? What comes from free cash flow? Free cash flow less CapEx gives you like in this example in 2019, when they made $12 billion of operating cash flow, they peeled off $2.5 billion for CapEx. That's left with basically $10 billion. They put half of it to buy down debt, and you get another basically $4.5 billion of free cash flow that comes to the equity owners. That's you and me. That's people who own the stock, although I don't own the stock. That If, if, you, if you were... This is your cash flow, and this is what the business is valued on. If you're looking at this business and thinking, well, should I buy it or not? You're buying it based on $4.6 billion of free cash flow in 2019. Now, here's the interesting thing. Now that debt has become normalized, I do not expect them to continue to pay off this debt. This debt here should go to zero, which means the $12 billion are now 15, 16 billion of free cash flow, less 2 billion of growth, so about 14 billion of free cash flow should flow through to the stock owners, to you, to me, to anyone who want to buy it. And that's what you want to value the stock on. Okay, so let's keep going. Let's take a look at shares outstanding is the next one I want to look at. So shares outstanding, 1.17 billion shares outstanding in 2014. And that's come down to a low of basically 1.04 billion in 2018. Shot up when they did some acquisition work, they issued some shares, some shares. And most recently, it came down. The last year, in December, they bought back $3.5 billion of stock. So it went from 1.3 billion shares to 1.28 billion shares outstanding. That is a reduction of shares. If they keep that up, which they might because they have lots of free cash flow, that would be one of the criteria of a trifecta that we look for in this channel. Hint, hint, hint. Yes, I am wearing the t-shirt. We'll get to that in a second. So let's keep going. So now you've got free cash flow for the enterprise. You've got shares. You've got free cash flow per share. You take your share price, you divide, you get a cash flow yield. This cash flow yield is what we can use to value the business between the time we buy it and sell it, which are the share prices that we get. In the interim, you get a pro rata ownership, a right, a titled right to that free cash flow as a stock owner. And that yield is very important because that yield is, can be dividend. It can be um, uh, used to acquire new businesses, it can be used to buy back stock, or it can sit on the balance sheet like we have excess cash down here. Either way, all four ways, well, all three ways really, 
on the, on the balance sheet, buyback shares or dividend, we're going to calculate, we're going to include in our IRR calculation. If they make an acquisition, that acquisition better be accretive. You're trusting management to, to due diligence and invest your money properly. Um, it's hard to forecast acquisitions, so we don't. I always assume that all cash is just dividend out. If they kept on the balance sheet, it would be reflected in the stock price. If they buy back more shares, it would be reflected in the, in the number of shares outstanding. So either way, uh, I think it's 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 um, it's 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 fine to just for our model we just dividend it out. I'll get more into that later. But it looks to me like this cash flow yield is actually really nice. And if I were to zero out the debt payments of the last couple years, now that they have paid down their debt, it's kind of stabilized. You're looking at a free cash flow yield with no debt payments of double digits. That's very, very attractive and very rare. We're seeing this stock market come down as many, many uh, companies are revising earnings lower. The stock market itself is still thinking the good times are here. Businesses are slowly revising earnings down. Looks to me like the stock price has come down quicker uh, in line with estimates. And now we're seeing historical double digit, uh, double digit free cash flow yields based on a historical cash flows. And that's a very attractive um, opportunity. It's hard to find stocks with good quality that have double digit free cash flow yields. All right, so now we've done a couple things. We've reviewed income statement, EBITDA, debt levels, enterprise value, looked at free cash flow, shares about standing. Now what? Let's take a little bit more detail in the per unit economics of this to figure out how we want to build a forecast, and then we're going to do just that. I'll take a break here and remind you to check out my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where I both teach a course that will, um, that will teach you how to do this yourself. I also run a cash flow club where I value a whole lot more stocks on a monthly basis with a team of analysts. It's kind of a blog style, but you can get a sample cash flow one pager down below in the description. Okay, now let's rip through some of the per unit economics. I don't want to take too long and make this video too long, but it's very important you understand how to build up a forecast. Um, and how you think about a business, not just top line, but go down in the details. And you get all this detail by reading the 10Ks. That's why it's very important. Total stores. This is the historical stores that they've had. They've gone from 7,700 stores in 2013 to 9,674 stores. Uh, mostly a growth rate over that period of time with some closing around the pandemic era. Now we're going to forecast growth going forward very conservatively of 10 stores uh, per, uh, per year net growth, putting them at 7,774 stores out a decade from now, which I think is more than doable for them, but I don't wanna to rely too heavily on growth. They're also going into a, pharmacy, uh, a pharmaceutical um, direction, which is slightly different than the traditional per unit retail model that they used. So I don't wanna take the, the current uh, set up, like you think of a CVS box, its current margin, and grow that quickly, too quickly, it'll impact the results too much. So I want to give a nice conservative 10 stores uh, growth weight and see if the stock can perform well with, a, with what I would consider a very doable um, per unit growth. 
All right, so the next step we want to do is we want to take a look at revenue on a per store basis. We have the per, we have the store count. We know we have revenue from up above. So I'm going to carry revenue down. So here's our $126 billion of top line revenue. Last year, that was $321 billion of revenue. If I just divide it by the number of stores, I get millions of dollars of revenue per store. And in 2014, they were making roughly $16.4 million per store. And that has grown over time to $33 billion per store. Store, almost doubling the revenue per store, which is very, very interesting. We're going to figure out exactly what's going on here. Because when I walk into a CVS, I'm not seeing double the traffic. So I want to try to check that out a little bit. But going forward, if I apply a simple growth rate to the revenue per store of basically long term 3%, I get a 3% growth rate on per store times this per store forecast of I have or the total forecast I have, and I get a growth forecast for top line revenue, $338 billion top line revenue, which is very close to what this, they, the, what corporate is saying they're going to do next year. And that grows to $445 billion over 10 years. That's a nice steady growth rate, which is lower actually than what they've produced in the last decade, but if a conservative growth forecast based on the per unit economics of the business. Now, what we want to do is just take quickly a quick look at segmented revenue. And what I found here, what I thought was very interesting. So, so the per store growth rate was higher than I thought it should be from $14 million per store to, to, or 16 to 30, 30 million, $33 million per store. I was wondering why. It's right here. It's the pharmaceutical sales and the healthcare benefits. So these things, the healthcare benefits is not necessarily a per store basis. It's from other acquisitions that they made. And I'm taking total revenue divided by a store count. So that's inflating the per store revenue. But pharmacy sales, pharmacy sales have doubled over that period of time. And that's driving the retail business, which retail business is mainly flat. So you have a, a number of boxes out there in the world the retail business in that box is relatively flat, 65 billion to 72 billion over this time frame. So that's that's the that's the soda, the chips, the candy, the makeup, all that's kind of the same, right? And then on top of that, you put a pharmacy business inside, that pharmacy revenue is growing, it's doubled. 74 billion dollars to 157 billion over this period of time. So you've got a box, retail business is constant. You've got a pharmacy in the back corner who's doubling revenue every, uh, over this 10-year period of time. And then you lay on top of that a new healthcare benefits business that continues to grow. It, it grew from $3.5 billion in 2017 to $9 billion to $68 billion to $74.81 to $90 billion last year. That growth in that rate, in that dollar amount, dividing by total stores gives us the higher uh, value per store. But the good news here is that um, we can we can carry that dollar per store forward at a relatively conservative basis because I don't think this is one time. This is definitely recurring revenue. Uh, this is definitely revenue of a business model that can be maintained, and I like that. So we just basically look at that going forward, and you can draw those out in your own conclusions if you want. I kept this for simplicity on a per store basis. So just to round out the per store review here. So then the last thing, we have a revenue forecast. I want to forecast EBITDA margin. As I said before, EBITDA has gone from 9.8 billion to 19.9 billion. That margins come down from basically 7.7 .7 to 6.1. I'm going to maintain the 6.1 going forward, which is a bit of assumption, but I think they can maintain it. And it's higher than Walgreens itself. So that's going to put a forecast of EBITDA 
$20.7 billion to $27.7 billion, $27.2 billion out 10 years from now, basically adding $7 billion of EBITDA over 10 years. Uh, we can then carry this out a little bit further with some more assumptions around free cash flow, and I get a free cash flow per share forecast. Now we have a forecast. We've built that up on a per unit st store basis by adding 10 stores each year, growing revenue by 3% on a per store basis to build up to a, a total revenue. We took a margin of EBITDA and it produced this forecast from 20.7 billion to 27 billion out 10 years from now. It's basically 3% as a long-term EBITDA growth rate, which is a lot less than the 8% they've been doing. So when we, when we think about a conservative forecast, I think this looks conservative in my opinion. The next thing we need to do is assign a market multiple to this. Market multiple here is 10 times based on what they have historically. I think that's cheap. If you look at other businesses that are growing, uh, they're trading at 11 or 12 times. Certainly Walgreens is shrinking and they're trading at 12 times. To me, 10 times seems cheap here. I'm gonna leave it for now. We can tweak it at the end to see what it does. But I got a 10 times multiple on 27 billion. It gives me a $272 billion enterprise value. Less some debt plus some cash gives me 800, it gives me $180 billion of um, market cap out 10 years from now. I divide this by the share count of 1.28 billion shares and I get $140.89 of a price target based on EBITDA market multiple method for CVS out 10 years from now. I do the same thing now for free cash flow. Free cash flow, I showed you before, once they stop paying down debt, it's gonna spike up to about 10 to $11 per share. I grow that at 3%. I'm thinking this thing generates $13 a share, $13.82 per share out 10 years. If I apply a free cash flow yield, remember we said that the current cash flow yield is like uh, you know 10%, 10 to 11% based historically. I'm gonna say it's 8% long-term, that's $172.78 is a long-term value for this stock price. Now is the point we look to see what the stock trades for in the open market. You don't wanna look at the stock price before you do the analysis. You do the analysis first, then you look at the stock price because I promise you, if you look at the stock price, it's gonna affect how you think of the business. You're just naturally gonna assume that the stock price is right and oftentimes it's wrong. So. We're gonna establish that we think the stock price is 172, 140, call it 156 on an average based on these two methods of valuing stocks. It's $156 value long-term, 10 years from now. I can buy as much stock right now as I want for 90 bucks a share. If I put that 90 into context, that's a current enterprise value of $183 billion. Forward EBITDA is looking at 20, basically 20 billion. So I'm buying it right now at nine times enterprise value. I think it can trade at 10 times enterprise value in the future. Honestly, I think it deserves 11 or 12 based on how much free cash flow it has and its low debt. That is a market multiple expansion right there where you buy something at a nine times and it trades higher at a 10 or 11, 12. It also gives me a free cash flow yield of 8.8 times, which is a very strong high single digit number, which is what we want. That cash flow, they can dividend out, they can buy back stock, they can keep on the balance sheet, or they can make acquisitions. And they've chosen to make an acquisition. I'm gonna get there in a second. Let's take a look at the IRR for this stock. So if I pop this into our IRR calculator, 
I buy the stock at 90. I get a stream of free cash flow that is my pro rata ownership of the free cash flow they're going to generate. And I hypothetically sell it at $156 out 10 years from now. That stream of cash flow gives me a 19% annual, annual IRR internal rate of return. It's a time-weighted calculation. You can think of it as like an interest rate. The further out that money comes to you, the less it's worth to you. And this strong free cash flow really buoys this 19% uh, annualized rate. That's going to basically give you three times your money over the long term. Lastly, I want to put this into an IRR distribution for you. If you're watching this video later in time, if I take the current value of the stock is 90 bucks, all the assumptions, which is just math behind me, just, just math, not saying it's going to happen, it's complete guess, but it's based in some sort of rational thought, 19% IRR. As the stock grows in price, obviously becomes less attractive. If the stock should shrink in price, it becomes very, very attractive. It's a very interesting stock. You do not see uh, many stocks that have a near 20% IRR. We have a couple that are in the cash flow club that I definitely suggest you check out. But let's review the five key attributes. Number one, top line revenue growth. Yes, check the box. Number two, EBITDA, earnings, check the box. Number three, strong free cash flow, check that box. Number four, low debt, 3.5 times. I'm gonna give low debt because it's mostly retail liability of rent leases, so check the box. Number five, well-priced. Absolutely, this stock is well-priced. Given a conservative forecast, we're growing EBITDA at 3%. It historically grew at 8%. Um, uh, so I think given that it is it is well priced and I'm going to give it a good, which is the highest rating we give. I'm going to also caveat, but I think it's a trifecta opportunity. What is a trifecta? It is a stock that will grow earnings, they will buy back shares, and they will have a market multiple expansion. You can currently buy this stock for nine times. It will trade for 10 historically. I think it goes to higher to 11 or 12 based on Walgreens trading at 12, which is a garbage stock. This thing deserves more than that so that you get a market multiple expansion from nine to 12, meaning every dollar of EBITDA trades in the market for 12 times when you bought it at nine. Earnings are gonna grow someplace between three and 8%, that's earnings growth. And number, number the third part is buying back stock. That means that the your ownership of this great business is growing over time without having to put extra dollars to work. Let's go take a look at just that. Behind me is the cash flow statement from CVS for the fiscal year ending 2022, December 31. Just want to show you quickly what they do with their free cash flow and how they bought back stock. And let's make sure that the dividend that they pay is protected, that they can afford to pay it. Here's the cash flow operation, 16.1%. $16.2 billion last fiscal year. I adjusted that for the for the stock-based comp, but we're gonna go with the 16 for a moment. Let's pull out the CapEx that they had to buy. So purchase property, plant, and equipment, 2.7 billion. Take the 16 minus 2.7 billion, you're at about $13.5 billion. Let's then see what kind of, what do they do with that 13 and a half? Well, they had to pay debt minus 4.2 billion from the 13 billion, sir. You're about nine, $8 billion of free cash flow here repurchase of stock based repurchase of common stock 3.5 billion dollars so they made 16 they peeled off 2 billion dollars for the for the capex they peeled off 4 billion for the debt they're still left with eight and a half billion dollars of jack just sitting on the table they're like i don't know what should we do with this i know let's buy back a ton of stock 3.5 billion dollar stock 
very affordable if they've got eight and a half billion of cash flow. Then on top of that, they paid a dividend of $2.9 billion. Again, still had cash flow left, cash balance left after buying stock back at three and a half billion dollars. So that's fantastic. And they could easily pick both those two payments. So the dividend here, I think, is safe. It's currently yielding, I think, two and a half percent dividend yield. That thing could go up. Uh, they could buy back lots of stock going forward. So that's why I give it the, the trifecta, even though the stock-based purchase was recent. They have not done it historically. I think they can do it going forward. And I'm going to give it the thumbs up on the trifecta. Okay, last thing that I'm gonna let you go in the video, but I wanna teach you how to look at acquisitions. This channel is about teaching people. I am a CFO by profession. I wanna teach you how to be better at investing in your life to hopefully, hopefully get you where you wanna go. Uh, this is long-term. If you think long-term, you can, you can build wealth uh, as well by putting money in quality companies and just letting it alone, let it do its thing. Let's take a look at the acquisition now. This announcement is just brand new for the announcement. CVS Health acquires Oak Street Health. Let's take a look at what they're doing here. In the announcement, they're saying they're buying, Oak Street Health, by the way, is public. So they're buying it for $39 a share. Okay, who cares? What does that really mean? That means the enterprise value, see they're quoting enterprise value of $10.6 billion. Now, <clears throat> why do I use enterprise value in my analysis? And why do I use EBITDA? I get a lot of criticism on the channel because people say Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger say EBITDA is garbage. Correct. It is flawed. It is not perfect by any means. And it is not free cash flow. I've never said it is. We use free cash flow on this channel to value the business on its own, and I do that. I use EBITDA because industry, finance industry language uses EBITDA all the time. And I'm able to take a look at a business like CVS on an EBITDA basis, look at the acquisitions that they make on an EBITDA basis, and compare the two relative to one another. That's why I use it. So they give us an enterprise value here of $10.6 billion that they just bought. They say they bought it in cash. They go through here and they give you some more details, some comments from the CFO, blah, 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 how amazing this is gonna be. Transaction details, that's where we wanna be. You start going through this and you're gonna see that they give you, and by 2026, Oak Street Health will have over 300 studios at which there's a potential to contribute seven million each studio of an adjusted EBITDA at maturity. Representing more than $2 billion, Oak Street Health embedded adjusted EBITDA. What the heck does that mean? Well, adjusted EBITDA means you take EBITDA and you adjust for transaction costs, for startup, for opening locations, for you kind of get a normalized number. And then embedded, what does embedded mean? Embedded means you take each open studio or open center that they have, and you assume that it's going to normalize uh, to to its its normal scale. If it, if you open it today and it's just getting customers, just starting off, but you think two years from now it's going to have three times the number of customers on an annual flow when that when that business kind of stabilizes, that's what this means embedded. So you take EBITDA, you adjust it for one-time items for that year's income statement, and then you embed it, meaning you lift it up for the, num for, the, for the size volume that you expect to do in the future. Yes, yes, absolutely a lofty, a lofty assumption here. We can judge how much we wanna rely on that because there's a lot of ifs in this statement, but what they do give us, and the point of this exercise is they give us a $2 billion EBITDA number that CVS expects to be able to generate out of this assets. And I got to give them a lot of credit 
for their ability to hit that number because these businesses are very similar. They're both multi-location retail operators in the healthcare space. I would think CVS would be very good at judging their ability to hit that EBITDA number based on their very big experience of doing basically the same thing. So now we've got a number of $2 billion and they say we expect additional synergies of another half a billion dollars. That's basically we expect to fire people and make more money because I already have an accounting team at this company. I don't need one at this company. That's kind of what they're saying. Uh, sorry if that was too cut and dry, but that's basically what they're saying. So in the end, they think $2.5 billion of EBITDA is what they're going to get out of this business that they bought for $10.6 billion. Okay, now we can do a market multiple. Let's take a look at what this looks like. Okay, now let's break this transaction down for you to see, is the acquisition accretive? Why do we want to test it? Because management is spending your money, right? Remember, the free cash flow that they generate, they can dividend it out, they can buy back stock, they can leave on the balance sheet, or they can make acquisitions. If they make acquisitions, those acquisitions need to be accretive so that it, it's, it's extra value to you, or they should just dividend it out. Many, many, many businesses, Diageo is one, in my opinion, that pays a very high price for acquisitions and dilutes shareholder value because they, they, they pay, pay way too much for that acquisition. $10.6 billion is the purchase price. 2026 forward, many year forward, EBITDA $2 billion. Synergies five, that gives $2.5 billion. Now, what do they say? That's a purchase multiple of 4.2 times. They currently trade, they currently trade, CVS currently trades at nine to 10 times. So they're buying assets at a four multiple, that this 2.5 billion, when it finally materializes, will trade at 10 times its accretive. They're going to double the value of this business now that it's underneath a CVS. One trick here, in the comments in the language, they said they're going to have 300 stores out in the future. Well, they have to build those. So we need to adjust these numbers slightly to account for the building of them. So what does this mean? Well, they need 300 stores to produce the 2 billion of embedded EBITDA. They currently have 169 stores, so they have to build 131 extra stores between now and 2026. Well, how much does a store cost? Fortunately, this healthcare company is public and we can take a look at their 10K and figure out how many stores they have. So in 2019, this company had 51 stores. They grew that to 79. They grew that to 129 in 2021. That is a change of net gain 28, net gain 50 in the last two years. If we look at their cash flow statement, they spent $21 million and $205 million on CapEx, property, plant, and equipment. That is an average on a per store basis of two and a half million bucks. If you go into Google Maps, you take a look at one of their locations, you realize these are in strip malls. They are boxes in strip malls. They're not necessarily standalone units. So f when I look at a $2.5 million build cost, I think that seems reasonable to me. It kind of smells, passes the smell chest. So now we come back to our adjustment analysis. We got a per store cost of $3 million. We know that they have to build 131 of these. I multiply the two, it needs an extra 393 million dollars. Well, I can add that to the purchase price. So I go from 10.5 to just under 11 billion dollars. I know I'm going to get two and a half times, or I think I'm going to get two and a half billion of EBITDA plus synergies. That
that's still a 4.4 times market multiple, which is half of what they currently trade at. I think that's a great acquisition. There's some time that they have to that, that they have to um, that that's needed to to get this EBITDA. There's some build risk that they actually have to go out and build and execute on the strategy. But the strategy is very similar to what CVS naturally does. So I think it's a very good deal for them. I wish them the best of luck. And this is a very, very interesting stock. The last thing I want to do is I want to adjust this stock price for a, um, for, for a higher yield. So let's take a look and see if I just look at the EBITDA market multiple method. And I say the EBITDA market multiple method at a 10 times market multiple gives me 18 times 18 IRR, 18% IRR. And if I move that 10x to 12, which is a little bit of a premium, more in line with Walgreens, uh, and I, it's a better price for a stock that's growing like this, that 18 times goes to 20. So if you get the market multiple expansion here over time, it's worth an extra 2% IRR in the long term. Um, which is a very, very strong return for what I think is a very good company. So to recap, I'm going to give it a good. This is a long review. We covered an awful lot, but I taught you, I think, I hope, uh, something on how to review acquisitions that are made for companies you're looking at, checking to make sure they're accretive, because that means that all the earnings that they just bought trade at the new market multiple, which you own and gave the benefit of. So that is an accretive acquisition. Good job, management. My name is Cameron Stewart. This is Rational Investing. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening on the podcast. Hit the subscribe button. Throw me a comment down below, whatever you want to say. Happy, I'm happy to take recommendations, but it helps the algorithm. Uh, my, I'm trying to grow the channel this week, uh, this month. I started a merchandise shop. Take a look at some good merch if you like that kind of sweet gear. I've got the Cashflow t-shirt on there as well uh, and the Trifecta t-shirt. Let me know what else you'd like to see. I will do a shameless plug. So down below, you can download a free one-pager. What is a one-pager? A one-pager is a one-page summary of exactly what we just went through here for the last 45 minutes. It shows you 10 years of revenue, EBITDA, cash flow, debt. It gives a forecast for cash flow and EBITDA. It does a sensitivity table. I do a write-up on what I think the business overall is historically worth and it give you a little map. I also summarize the five key attributes on a one pager. This is available in the Cash Flow Club. We just had our quarterly webinar, which is a wild success. I really enjoyed seeing everybody. I like doing those. I'm going to continue to do those every quarter where we pick out kind of our top picks for the coming period, stocks that exhibit all five key factors, hopefully have growing industries, are kind of top providers in their industry, some of those other more intangible items that we look for for really good stock picks. You can download a free one-pager in the description below. Check out the Cashflow Club. It's a membership. We have a team of analysts that are kicking in about 15 or so one-pagers every single month into the club. And over time, as you look through these, you're going to learn kind of a, a range of stocks, really good stocks, really bad stocks. You're going to see what, what makes up a good stock, a bad stock, in my opinion, uh, based on how aggressive the forecast is, how much cushion you have on the five key factors, a whole host of things, what the market multiple they trade at. All of those come up with kind of the overall blend of how to make an investment. Uh, finance is an art. It's not a science. Uh, there is a lot of kind of uh, squish in both the data. That's why we use long-term uh, averages. Uh, and, and, and also in management's ability to execute. So it's kind of a feeling, and the best thing you can do, in my opinion, one of, the, one of those things, 
is to look at a whole host of stocks. And if you look at a, a, a long variety of investments, you will gain an appreciation for what do what what attributes do underperforming stocks have? What attributes do above performing stocks have? And how can you position your portfolio? So perhaps 10 years from now, you picked a few of those real winning stocks. That's the idea. That's what I try to do uh, in, in my portfolio. And I hope you guys uh, are doing the same thing. Again, my name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you very much for tuning in. I appreciate it. Throw that comment down below and we'll see you again next week. This has been CVS Health. Bye-bye.